Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Welcome to TNT, everybody, episode 102, and we are welcoming to today's conversation, Susie Clausen. Susie is a licensed professional counselor and an advisor at Benefit Bump. She spent nearly her entire career focused on workplace mental health and has consulted on the topic with dozens of employers such as Caterpillar, HP, PwC, DaVita, Blackbout, and more. Susie is a gifted, compassionate individual who believes business can improve the well-being of their workforce by what she calls humanizing mental health. She writes and speaks globally to awaken employers to the importance of cultivating purpose in life and at work to drive better health outcomes. After overcoming her own mental health struggles, it's become part of her mission to help people out of the dark by shining light on their purpose. Susie holds a degree, a master's degree in clinical counseling psychology from Illinois State University. So we can't wait to dig into some of that and resides in Southwest Michigan with her husband and three children. Welcome to TNT, Susie. Oh, thank you, Teresa and Reese. Thank you so much for inviting me on. We are a six degree of separation, sort of getting to know each other by figuring out how do we know each other and how have we come to this space to be able to have this conversation. So it's like a friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah. And, and here we are. And what was really helpful, I think, around the friend of a friend of a friend is we like to know what's the story underneath the passion, the obsession, the humanizing mental health. And you have your own very personal, intimate story around it. And we can't wait to hear the story behind this passion that really drives what you do today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I'll, I'll let you know, I'm, I'm terrible at being succinct or brief. So this is going to take a bit. Um, and it's interesting, as you started to say it, Teresa, I realized that, you know, five, you know, at least 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, there's probably still no way that I would have shared my own story. There was so much stigma. I mean, there still is stigma around mental health. Um, but for me to feel that it was okay to openly talk about coping with depression or being hospitalized or taking antidepressants, it would have been like, never, you know, I won't get hired anywhere. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad that we're in a world today where I feel relatively comfortable talking about these things we've still got some room to go but um you know i've i i have struggled with uh depression most of my life um and overcome it many many times and i think what happened what what's kind of driven me to where i'm at to really want to focus on purpose and helping employers starts back to you know i, I started having these issues when i was pretty young i was like 12 years old and looking back, if you were to look at my life, you might think like, oh, is she abused? Was there in a bad home? Like, no, I had this wonderful life. My father was military. My mother stayed home. We were in a good neighborhood. I went to a private Catholic school. Um, and yet I always had this struggle all through my adolescent years and went and talked to counselors. And then I, I really, you know, I overcame it. And, you know, which is what led me to become a licensed professional counselor and get my master's in counseling was I just I was like, I got to help people like me that feel this sense of loss. And well, then after um, when I had my first child, I had postpartum depression. 
now some silver linings of that one, you know, as, as a counselor, I was really lucky because I was like, I know what's happening. You know, and there's millions of women that go through this and they have no idea. They think something's wrong. They don't want to talk about it. Um, you know, they're having scary thoughts and they're ashamed to say anything, but I knew, you know, it was like, I went to school. I know what this is. I need to get help right now. So I knew exactly who to call, how to get help, you know, was open to trying medication and talking to a counselor right away. So thankfully I was able to overcome that. But when I looked back and I compared those two moments, I was like, okay, so I know that I was prone to having this happen because if you have a history of depression, you're more likely to have postpartum depression. But there was a huge difference in it. When I thought back to all the way when I was 12 and in my high school years, it was like that mood that I was having of feeling down or helpless could have easily been solved by just a few simple changes, like feeling, you know, as a little kid and adolescent, like I just didn't feel like I mattered. I didn't feel like I made a difference. Um, and so that's what often led to me just kind of, you know, having this overall negative feeling and having negative thoughts. So see, I don't have anything to contribute there. No one cares. But when I went through postpartum depression, it was an extremely different experience. It was these intrusive thoughts, delusions that were going there. I would sit and cry all day. I would be in fear. I would look at my husband and say, you're leaving me. I know you're going to divorce me. Like I would, it was everywhere. And I was, when I thought of that feeling, I was like, there was nothing you could have done at that point to make it better. You could have handed me a million dollars and I still would have been cowering in a corner afraid of everything. So I was like, that's, this tells me something. And I'm a therapist. I should know this. My, my, like my functioning was impaired both times. And that's what uh, clinicians look at is your level of functioning impaired. Are you not able to keep up with financial or legal or educational or occupational opportunities? That's when they start to see it as a difference from regular stress to something else. But I, what I noticed more was, it's like, you know, when you lack meaning and mattering and purpose in your life, it looks and acts a hell of a lot like depression. Mm. It's, so it's like, this is something that is missing. Then I was working in different, you know, and I was working in the corporate world and we were doing well-being benefits, um, you know, especially back in my time at Caterpillar and we were starting to introduce purpose into like our total health you know, I, I took it probably a little too far. I was like, okay, not, we can't just put this as a pillar. Like this is, should just, it should be a foundation for people's health because you can have a million dollars and still be depressed. You can be depressed and be a great athlete, but if you don't feel that your life has meaning and a reason that you want to get out of bed each day, you're not going to be successful at any of those. So that's a little bit of the history and kind of what my own story is um, and just feeling like, wow, we as employers, we have such an opportunity to lower absenteeism rates, you know, improve, um, you know, health outcomes, et cetera, by bringing meaning and purpose, not just into, you know, a lot of times there's organizational purpose that they're trying to do, but what about into our health, you know, and health and well-being efforts as well. Awesome. So much cool, good stuff there. Um, first of all, I echo your thoughts that I'm thankful and grateful that we can have these open and vulnerable, honest conversations about this topic um, that maybe we couldn't have before. Um, I would say that that's a, a very wide reaching topic, but maybe specifically what you do focusing on um, postpartum, postpartum depression, focusing on um, mother's mental health after after the pregnancy yeah. is maybe not, you know, the, the top that everyone's talking about. So when I you know, knowing you and, and understanding what you're doing, I was really intrigued to find out about how you were, you were combining your passion, your clinical knowledge, your purpose into finding this um, <clears throat> service for to, to provide that was so needed. Um, yeah. So I wonder maybe you could sort of 
delve a little bit deeper into how you went from the clinician who knew the answers to the mother who had the experience and then realizing the purpose because often I feel like well-being is something that people do after the effect but I think maybe if we can find purpose it comes before the problem and so it kind of is a not antidote but a precursor to escaping going down that path rather than trying to rectify something that's already gone wrong which obviously has a good place and is important but what you have done is kind of maybe you've seen the 360 of it and realized that I need to start right at the beginning here and we start with purpose and we start in this good place then it only leads to more good places rather than you know right. your experience in, in essence sounds a little bit more like it's a proactive approach mm. that's exactly it I'll, let me give you an example um one of the roles that I held in the past too was a psychiatric disability case manager which is a really lengthy word but basically what that means is like so if you're at an employer and you um you know if you break your leg or we're in a car accident you might go on what we call it here in the u.s short-term disability or long-term disability and i had to manage those psychiatric claims so if someone had was hospitalized for a suicide attempt or schizophrenia etc and my role was essentially for lack of a better word was to police cases. So it was to look at that treatment plan, make sure someone wasn't malingering and out too long, etc. Um, and I was super motivated when I first got into it, because I was like, this is amazing. I'm someone that's been affected by this, I'm going to help others. And I'm going to look make sure they're at the best treatment that we get them back to work, etc. And what I found was, yeah, that definitely was a handful of the cases that there was a lot of people that it was unfortunately a suicide attempt, or they were hospitalized or um, delusional disorders, etc. But um, a huge majority of the cases were people that on, on the disability application, it would say burnout, work stress, um, you know, depression, anxiety, conflict with supervisor, things that were like, uh, that's not really something you approve typically disability for. So they were very complex cases. And again, where the purpose light bulb kind of went off for me, at one point we were going through these big, massive layoffs. And so anytime a layoff um, was coming around a layoffs or a reorg, my disability claim caseload would hike up. And it was like, oh my gosh, brace yourself. And it was always these, mm -hmm. again, burnout, work stress, work conflict. Um, and going through those claims is really complex. And I was getting a little jaded myself. So I was like, you know, I'm stressed out too. I could lose my job. You don't see me taking, you know, trying to go to my doctor for this. And, you know, hearing people telling me how stressed out they were, they might lose their job. And I wanted to be like, yeah, me too, pal, but you know, this is where we are. But I noticed in that time too, there was, um, there was a claim I'll never forget. And it was someone that was in human resources. And she, during this layoff time, was responsible for laying off, I think it was something like 500 people a week. Mm -hmm. And so the claim comes through and you know, because it's someone in HR and I'm in benefits, they're kind of trying to prod me like, well, what's going on with this? How come she's not showing up to work? And I can't say anything. But a lot of times we look at the, the records, you know, I have to ask for their records to what we call substantiate a claim. And I, I see the notes and it just says, you know, this person is, you know, responsible for all these layoffs, you know, she can't sleep is not eating, um, you know, recommending anti-anxiety medications, you know, time off work. And it started to really click to me. I was like, you know, people like her and others in this situation, we've took away that ability to do what's meaningful for them, you know, and all these people that are now thinking, I thought my job mattered here. And you're telling me I might get laid off. Like, I thought what I did was helpful. And you're telling me I'm now moving to a different department. 
that again, I'm like, instead of me seeing, like it switched my lens from seeing, you know, we've got people malingering and just trying to get money from the company to, whoa, as an organization, we have not done a great job instilling meaning and purpose. And it's affecting people's blood pressure going up. They're getting more migraines. We're seeing all these more depression claims, et cetera. Um, and so again, is where I really started to try and stop and be like, we have this opportunity. People aren't linking this together that when you help people find meaning at work and feel that they matter and their work matters, if even in the toughest times, if you can connect them to that, you can still have a happy, healthy, productive, you know, workforce. You're um, speaking my language when it comes <laughs> to the, the capacity of us to be able to explain ourselves from the point of view of our intention. And so when we do that, we often will talk about our values and how much work means to us, but we're really struggling in this way. And so we mean it, like it's true, we mean it. We're not trying to ding the system or get away with something, it's really right. happening. Yet when it's occurring to someone else, we judge by their actions and judge very poorly their actions. So their intention is to get away with something, not come to work. They're so lazy, just get over it, right? That the, and so, and so your phrasing around the work that you do of humanizing mental health, mm. when you approach an organization, where do you start with skill development in helping people to humanize themselves? Yeah, this is um, this is even a newer concept that I am I've come up with and I'm embracing and I'm trying to get that message out there because you know in my career so I've been doing workplace mental health for you know 15 20 years my whole career and we've been fighting this battle of normalizing mental health. And we're always trying to say we're normalize it. It's just like a physical health issue. We got to compare it to that. And that's always been the strategy employers have taken, even I, you know, and mental health consulting have taken. It just hit me. I'm like, you know, it's that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Like we keep saying we're going to normalize mental health. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> we went through, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, it was great to see employers that were suddenly knocking down mental health doors saying, okay, we realize, you know, I give, I give, help us, you know, with mental health but the employees still weren't necessarily ready to talk about it they were still worried that there was going to be something associated with them negatively for having this mm -hmm. so when i think about normalizing i realized one of the flaws in it not that we should stop trying to normalize mental health not at all but one of the flaws of that design is we're trying to normalize it for the people we think experience other people that experience mental health issues you know, they constantly, we constantly throw out the term in this field of you know one in four have a, a diagnosable mental health condition well, that's true, but that doesn't mean that we all aren't as humans experiencing mental health issues. You know, if you have gone through grief and loss, that's mental health. If you're stressed right now, that's mental health. If you snapped at someone today because you were overtired, that's mental health. And so I think, again, like we've made it like an othering thing. We normalize it saying that, you know, I, I just want it to feel normal because someone else has that. I don't. I'm not depressed and I don't want you to call me that because that might mean I'm crazy or violent. So it's just for someone else. When I think what we need to do is everyone to join together in understanding that it's part of our human experience to have this range of emotions. Mm -hmm. If like in order for you to be happy, you have to have experienced sadness. In order for you to feel joy or love, you had to have felt fear. You know, like you had these 
these are actual essential emotions that are part of us. So instead of saying, well, let's normalize people that, you know, have depression, let's norm or humanize that we all have you know, emotions that are on a spectrum all over the place, they fluctuate all the time, that everyone should feel like, you know, I have mental health experiences, we all have mental experience, mental health experience, it's part of our human experience. It's not that it's just someone else that has it, and I'm going to make it comfortable for him or her that has it. So to then get back to your question of how to help <laughs> employers approach this, um, I'll tell you anyone in this position, it's, it's a struggle right now in this field, because you know, I was just reading an article in, in McKinsey where they were saying, you know, employers will say this is tough for them because mental health is it's ambiguous. It's they don't know how to. I mean, in my field, I've always had where people are like us, oh, you know, thinking back to those disability claims. Well, it says the person has cancer, but Susie, it says they have depression. So you take the case. You know, it's like as soon as someone saw a mental health issue, it's like someone else, someone else fix it and make it better. And unfortunately, today, still with the pandemic, when people are seeing these higher depression rates or absenteeism rates, employers are wanting to put a bandaid on it. Um, and so we have this, if you're familiar with the market, there's just tons now of these point solutions that are out there that will give you more access to counselors or um, free, you know, free access to counselors, more access video, et cetera, which is absolutely essential. It belongs in this ecosystem. We need it, but that's not necessarily what employees are saying they want. You know, if an employee is really stressed out and you say, well, hey, just so you know, if you're feeling bad, you're, there's a counselor you could go speak to. And that employee's probably thinking, how about you decrease my workload or pay me, you know, livable wages or, you know, let me say, you know, I feel like the odd man out because I'm the only person of color or, you know, with this lifestyle choice. And so trying to talk with employers, a lot of it right now is what we would call in mental health counseling, like motivational interviewing, where you're trying to help them realize what's happening. So yeah, you, I'd love to say to everyone, be like, you're doing it wrong and you need to create a psychologically safe workforce, but people wouldn't like likely listen to that. So it's helping them through some open-ended questions, you know, about, you know, what do you think would happen if you don't make some of these changes? What, what you know, if you, five years from now, if you think of your workforce as being the most emotionally fit workforce, what would you be doing differently? So we're trying right now really to raise their awareness that point solutions aren't always going to fix. And if we really, truly want to help our people, treating them like humans that matter, we're going to have to look at our culture and how leaders are talking. We maybe need to stop promoting leaders just because they've been with the company for six years and train them more about how to you know, identify mental health issues, talk openly about them, et cetera. And last things too, reviewing their policy language. There's, um, you know, if you look at policies for drug testing, a lot of them will say, you know, that you're fired if you make a mistake while you're, <laughs> if you've been drug tested. And so who's going to open up that they want to get help about it if they know there's a chance they can get fired. So it's all these different tactics, but it's being very creative and trying to help employers right now become aware um, of how to truly make a change. You know, do you want to do you want to check a box or do you want to move the needle? Hmm. Okay, so <clears throat> at the start of it, you were talking about you know, your personal fear, you didn't want to discuss it. And then you talked about your experiences within corporate. And it seems like, you know, there's definitely coming from a position of fear, like, I don't want to deal with this. I, I'm not sure how to deal with this. I, I don't want to even, you know, explore the root cause of this. I just want to push it away to Susie down there to deal with. Um, what is it that benefit them or you in, in terms of all your work as a consultant are doing to try to tackle that um stigma around it not not just from the individual but from the from the company side of it like how do you actually get them to see 
the incredible things that you just said about raising awareness about uh focusing on the individual listening to them more not being like oh well this is the mental health program uh you go to this form fill out these these questions here you you complete this process and the data says you should be fixed by then so you know don't worry about that and it's something that they can't control because it's too ambiguous to use your word so can you tell us yeah. a bit about how you kind of can overcome that anyone who's listening in that similar situation yeah i'll give let me start with one example because as you know i've got my hands in a couple different pots with in, you know helping employers and how we do it so i'll talk to the benefit bump experience now um and and what we're doing to try to you know change the game in that area um so a lot of you know being able to help benefit bump also ties back to again my, my time in my career before where i did uh, created a maternity support program again taking my experience what i knew about going through maternity leave coming back to work going through depression and for most employers um the the process of when you go on maternity leave or parental leave or family leave whatever it is it's very transactional um, you know here's your disability paperwork get it signed come back in six weeks pretend you know you never had kids and function you know hit the ground running um, and that doesn't really lead to good outcomes. Um, and so when I had created this program before, it's like, this shouldn't be transactional. Someone's going through the biggest change of their life and we're treating it as, you know, just like the same way we would if someone had a surgery for carpal tunnel syndrome, like no offense to that population, but this is a little bit more um, involved where if we're trying to actually attract and keep these people at work, these new parents, there's more that we can do. So I took a lot of what I did then and, and tied it back into what we're doing at Benefit Bump now where um, one of the things that I love that I did then and, and that we're doing now is that our program solution right now, it's led by a licensed professional counselor by my, like myself. So, you know, typically again, in a, in a transaction where you're applying for maternity leave, you're connected to a benefits or human resource person, which is fine, but that person maybe isn't equipped nor should they be equipped to talk about things like miscarriage and stillbirth and high-risk pregnancy and having, um, you know, all, all sorts of complications or things that happen like going through a divorce during that time or, you know, infidelity. Those are the things that are happening behind the scenes that the company isn't seeing or dealing with that can help keep them, keep moms and dads back at work. So the whole process is led through with a, with a mental health cl clinician being at the forefront versus someone that's referred to at the end, right? So again, someone finally says, I need help. I'm having trouble with anxiety. It's, oh, okay, now I'll go talk to that. So we're trying to, we really want it to be proactive so that people establish that relationship with us in the beginning. And that way we have the opportunity to talk with them and screen them throughout the process about how are you doing emotionally today? So again, it's not waiting until after they've had the baby and they go see their OBGYN for their six week follow-up. And that's, that's when typically they're getting screened for depression. We're doing this throughout the process. So if things are coming up, we can catch them early and get them help earlier and hopefully avoid longer term complications. And the other area that um, I'm really proud of and I think any employer should do is making it really, really easy then for them to find the resources that they need. So as you know, many employers, your, your benefit landscape is just all over the place. Maybe find, you know, it takes you 13 links just to find your employee assistance program to get a counselor. You know, we have all that benefit information so that if someone says, you know, that's true, I am struggling to find childcare, or um, I am having some 
you know, I've had depression in the past. I want to start talking to a counselor now that we are always holding their hand, getting them to that resource. So helping them to find daycare openings, helping get them to their employee assistance program, looking for a network of specialists that cope with, that deal with postpartum depression specifically so that they can engage with someone that knows what they're dealing with. So really trying to change that framework to put, again, mental health at the beginning, like at the starting point of it, as opposed to that's something that someone else turns to once they've hit rock bottom. That's just exceptional leadership. Like basically what you described and what you're doing and when you come in to assist an organization with doing better by their people is you're demonstrating how to lead, how to be a leader in an organization and ask someone, how are you actually doing today? Whether or not they just had a child. Like we don't need to have someone go through childbirth in order for us as leaders to put the human first and just find out how are you doing? Because guess what? When you come to work, I have some expectations around performance, but if I don't know what condition of performance you're actually in, then I'm going to tell my own stories about why you did or didn't do certain things today after the fact. But if I ask first and find out how you're doing, then in all likelihood, I can either reset my expectations, get you some help and resources, allow you to unload and decide what it is that you need to get yourself into performance mode could be even a day off, or maybe you just needed to vent for a second and now you're ready to rock and roll. Right. Mm -hmm. So we think that a lot of what it comes down to is equipping people with acknowledgement of their own fear around why I'm not willing to step into having a conversation. Gosh, yes. Okay. So what I would (laughs) love, what I would love to know from you being someone who steps into these conversations over and over and over and over again, can you speak to me, the person who's listening, going, those conversations are so uncomfortable. How do I start them? How do I fix them? How do I solve them? What do I like, where do I start? What am I supposed to say? I'm not a clinician. I don't have a certification or an education or a degree. So what am I supposed to do in those situations, Susie? Yes. Oh my gosh. I almost need to like my ideas are coming down so fast. I'm like trying to write stuff. (laughs) Um, I have had those questions, gosh, my entire career, you know, from an HR person saying, you know, we've got someone on our shop floor and, you know, it's just acting a little off. What should we do? Or we had someone that said they're going to shoot the place up. What should we do? Or, you know, have someone that's not showing up to work. So I I get those questions a lot. I'm going to probably jump around here a little bit. Cause like I said, my brain's rapid firing. One thing I want to make sure anyone who's listening does is get rid of the idea that because someone has any type of, you know, they're showing signs of anything, what you think or perceive may be depression, do not assume that they will become violent to themselves or others just because of that. Because that was probably one of the most frustrating things to deal with. Someone would say, Susie, this person, they're just acting odd. And, you know, we were talking about, he just kind of seems like one of those guys that would shoot up the place. And I'm like, are you kidding me? you judge this person because they're acting off and you think and then they pull in insecurity and all this stuff i'm like this is never going to help us get through this and help people feel like they can talk about things if your first idea is they're acting off and you're worried that they might shoot up the place for them it's it is quite a leap it's quite a leap in like yeah Someone could be acting off because they just didn't sleep well the night before um and often jumping to you know so Knowing those boundaries, one lower, checking yourself on your assumptions and biases. You know, if you think that someone is depressed, is crazy or violent, please get those words out of your vocabulary. 
most times they just need compassion. You know, we all do, you do, I do. Um, the other thing is to check those boundaries. Again, people say this is awkward, it's uncomfortable. No one is expecting a person that's a leader, HR, et cetera, to become a therapist, right? You leave that to folks like me to actually worry about a diagnosis and what type of treatment plan might be needed. Mm -hmm. All we need though is just compassion. You know, emotional intelligence, which I know you guys talk about that, you know, having empathy. And if you feel like you lack in those skills, if you feel like it's really hard for you to put yourself in someone else's shoes, if you feel like you too often go, ah, gosh, why can't the person just suck it up? You're not equipped in a role then to try and even understand that and maybe find someone else to try and talk with this person or get yourself trained on that. Talk about emotional intelligence and resilience and build up those skill sets that you can have it. They don't have to be uncomfortable conversations. I think I just put something up on LinkedIn. I saw it, you know, maybe on Instagram and shared it. It was like, when someone asks for you to see a counselor, it does not mean, I think you're sick and something's wrong with you and you need to go talk to someone about it. That conversation would be framed as, you are so worthwhile. You deserve so much good in your life that I want the very best for you. And I think this person can help you. So really changing that conversation around, like stop thinking you're talking to someone, you're going to, you know, get them into a hospital. Like, no, 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 don't jump there. It's a human to human connection. When you're talking to someone, if you think that they need help, that's why you don't have to say, I think you need help. It's, I care so much about you. I value your work is so important here. And it's so important to us to make sure that you can continue doing that great work because we value you here. You're so important to us. What do you think about this? Well, you know, here's this phone number and I can help you get connected over to it again. So those are some of my biggest suggestions there to start. <laughs> I could probably keep going, but please go. Perfect. Yeah, thank you. I think, yeah, I echo what Teresa said, what you just described there is, you know, a perfect example of exceptional leadership. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that instead of it being like, there's something wrong with you, we need to fix it or remove you. It's like, there's something wrong with you. We love you. How can we help you? Let's go into this world, not rather just, as I said before, move you down the hall to HR or whoever it is who's, who's unlucky that day. Um, right, before we run out of time, I know that how we met is through the the love of purpose and um you, you mentioned that one of the things that you obviously help you get through your thing was finding this purpose that you are now following and i'm wondering uh, and you kind of uh, assume to this idea that if someone has purpose they're less likely to fall into you know certain traps or they're less likely to be affected by certain experiences or negative aspects that they can focus more on, on their positive things so to how would you how do you go about instilling that that purpose bit because it seems like the purpose bit is just as important as, as all the other kind of technical clinical stuff that you've been doing but purpose you know as we said comes before so how how do you help someone find that that purpose to hopefully alleviate any of these mishaps well it's probably not the right word <laughs> yeah thinking from again an organizational lens because that's yeah. really my more forte is on the organizational lens and not maybe the individual lens. Yeah. Um, you know, helping to make that originally, you know, just the business case itself. There is a ton of research out there showing that if you have a higher sense of purpose in life, there are these amazing health outcomes with it. There's, you know, lower risk of depression, of stroke, of cardiovascular uh, issues, dementia, et cetera, increased activity and exercise, uh, increased, uh, eating healthy, increased preventative care. So being able to tell employers out there, like this isn't just the woo woo philosophy stuff that you learned back in your philosophy class, back at community college, like this is actual, there's science behind this. It does actually improve health. 
And of course, then it's good for businesses too, you know, that that does, um, you know, additional research about, you know, um, more impactful leaders having better relationships, more likely to be promoted, et cetera. So there's plenty of data points out there for employers to understand, but then also then helping them to understand what to do to create that environment. Um, so there's plenty of tactics that I can kind of go into, but what I would really encourage employers to do, if someone was out there listening, like, you know what, I really do think that, you know, maybe we've created an organizational purpose statement and that's great, but um, what can we do to really bring it to our people and to our culture and part of our mental health strategy is to begin to measure things. Again, I would definitely recommend looking at your leave of absence and disability claims. So if you do have, um, you know, mental health issues are, you know, typically top five for disability claims anyhow with obesity, diabetes, musculoskeletal being up there as well. Mental health is typically up there um, as, a, as also are, you know, emergency room visits for mental health conditions, et cetera. So taking some of that data, seeing where you are baseline, then working to say, let's start bringing in some of these tactics and strategies. Let's work and have our teams, you know, create a purpose statement that connects to the organizational purpose statement. Let's talk about some of our our blind spots together then if this is my purpose and i'm really excited about here where am i not likely to experience purpose you know what are some things that each of our employees can be doing maybe that's not part of their role but they find that they're talented at and we want them to you know that's going to help them feel more like they matter and value at work so let's do that too so you take some of these purpose tactics and again with this idea being like if we can get this built in people start to feel they matter their jobs matter their work they're excited to get out of bed each day then start to look after you do this and start to look back at those disability claims again are you seeing that more people aren't staying out of work you know are you seeing that people aren't going to these emergency room visits that you're not having a lot of people apply for family medical leave for for vague reasons because you're creating an environment where people feel they belong. You know, you want your people to be excited to get out of bed each day to go do that job. And if they're not, I can guarantee you whether they stop showing up at work or not, a chronic condition is gonna come up um, because they're so frustrated that then they became depressed and now it's leading to not exercising as much, et cetera. So taking a kind of a, you know, a quantitative and qualitative approach to be able to see how purpose could impact that mental health at work. So when I pick up a ball and glove, it's kind of, it doesn't work unless someone else picks up a glove. Yeah. So when I play catch with my son, in order for it to be the best game of catch, we both have to know how to throw the ball. We both have to know how to catch the ball. Yeah. And in organizations, when we're thinking about employee wellness and well-being and mental health, an organization can do everything, can provide everything, be measuring, be doing, having the conversations, give the, they could be doing everything, mm -hmm. but the employee doesn't play their part. Mm -hmm. So that two sides of the game, meaning Absolutely. here you go, here are all of the resources. And then, then the employee is like, okay, thanks so much but doesn't put the effort in or claim responsibility yeah. for their own health, their own mental wellness, their own connection to purpose, so on and so forth. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it's, I love the fact that you are absolutely helping organizations to get it right. So can we just take a minute to focus on how, how do we help people get it right? Like if I'm recognizing I'm struggling, gosh, yeah. how do I get better as an individual in claiming that and speaking oh. up and advocating for myself? 
Yeah, this is this is a really tough one because right employees are now up against something where they have to be willing to be vulnerable, which is tough for everyone um, to be able to reach out to admit maybe that things aren't going so well um, to be open to transforming and trying something new and different, whether that's seeing a purpose coach or whether it's seeing a mental health counselor, etc. Um, it is tough because obviously there's there's definitely all you know in our in our society there's going to be people that say no this i'm still this doesn't happen to me everything's fine i don't need anything um but if someone was listening and they're they are open to this and they're thinking about this and how to do that you know i would suggest you know looking at your life and doing this inventory of is there something that makes you want to get out of bed each day because i always think and say one of, the, one of the definitions they talk about of depression is they'll say, or a symptom is, you know, you don't want to get out of bed each morning. And, and purpose, ironically, is also something that makes you want to get out of bed each day. So mm-hmm. for people, if you feel like you you wake up and you're dreading your life and you're dreading your work, you know, some people feel that it's hopeless and helpless. There is ways to overcome this. It doesn't have to, it doesn't at all have to mean that this means you're going to get a mental health diagnosis if you begin to speak about it. Because I've got a lot of people that say, right, this employee, they won't reach out to the EAP. They won't do this because they're so afraid that something's going to happen. They're going to get a label and it's just all going to go downhill from there. So many other things, you know, having emotions and reaching out for help can have absolutely nothing to do with depression or anxiety or a mental health issue. It's just about if you can reframe this to yourself, kind of like I said earlier, you are worth it you are here for a reason you do matter if you don't believe that then get yourself to a point or talk to someone or get somewhere so that you do believe that so that you will get what you need and it may be a counselor it may be not some people it's through journaling or it's through peer coaching and and mentoring relationships that they get that so i think if we can all get out of this mindset of if i talk about something that means i'm weak and i'm going to get a diagnosis and now i'll never be promotable you know our heads go there as opposed to this could be the biggest opportunity of growth speaking from experience you know going through these acti- you know the things and the struggles that i have had have made me a better employee being able to go through depression and go through and overcome it has made me stronger and it can make anyone else stronger too whatever they're going through yeah i love that thank you for uh asking that question Teresa because I guess we, we we really just tend to focus on the organizational side of it the employer side of it the leadership side of it and, and we take for granted that the uh, the person actually suffering is is capable to be vulnerable to be honest to share everything and I feel like you know that is a fundamental requirement to allowing for this real connection and real relationship to strengthen and because of that perhaps start to alleviate some of the perceived real or unreal um, misconceptions about you know their position or their, their job safety or whatever it might be that's causing them that um that that, that concern um i'm conscious of running out of time here and i think that you've given us so many golden nuggets i'm not sure whether we whether we need any more i, I wondered if it, it just if there's anything else you would like to share with us um before we before we move on to our rapid fire questions there any any other points maybe some leaders who are watching going wow this makes a lot of sense i, I want to find out more i mean besides obviously contacting you directly, which we'll lead to in a minute, is there anything that um, a leader needs to do to, to maybe just start recognizing their own um, judgments or to recognize uh, another way, like you beautifully reframed it earlier, that um, if I could just take the time to 
to get to know you a bit more, to listen to you a bit more, to understand you a bit more than perhaps yeah. I would, uh, I, I could find a better solution than the, uh, than the pro the process that we've signed off by HR. Yeah, I, I just, I, I want to encourage leaders, managers, organizations everywhere um, to one, you know, if you're committed to lowering stigma and increasing awareness about this, which seems to be a, a big trend among employers now, you know, first realize, I think, and, and understand and acknowledge that mental health is a part of all of us. If you want to fix it, you're fixing it for yourself too, not just for those employees that you think are depressed or the ones on your claims data, but fixing and making a better environment for all of us. Think outside the box of this. A lot of things that employers are doing right now and being in mental health consulting, I've seen this, is they're, they're ready to throw millions of dollars now at point solutions, which is so interesting to me because 10 years ago, we could barely get it on the agenda you know, for, to put mental health on there. And now there's, you know, they're spending money on these big products. So many of the things that you can do to improve the mental health of your workforce are free. You don't have to necessarily get more counselors to fix this. Talk and have human connections. Um, Re-examine, like I said, those policies. Hear from your employees and start having open conversations. Share your own areas of where you're struggling and how you've overcome it. Talk about the resources that you set the example as well. You know, if you're if you're not flexing your hours, but you're telling your the employees that they can, if they don't see you doing it, they're not going to do it either. So there's so many opportunities in these strategies. Employers, I've said this before, I think employers and leaders and especially the managers specifically have a better opportunity to improve workplace mental health than I do as a mental health counselor. Because I'm, I'm there once they've already hit bottom and they don't know where to go. Leaders are the ones that are there that can actually move that needle. So they don't need to, again, wait to set, you know, check a box. They have the incredible opportunity to in improve workplace mental health. Um, so again, and to remind employers, you don't need to be the counselor. You can still refer to folks like me for that. We don't expect that at all, but just to be a human connecting with a human. Beautiful. Um, okay, so now everyone's gonna wanna find out how to get in touch with you, how to hire you, how to connect with you, collaborate with you. What's the best way for people to uh, to reach you, Susie? Yeah, I think best right now is through LinkedIn. I'm under Susie Clausen, MSLPC, because um, I have a couple different email addresses with the different businesses. So um, LinkedIn is the best way if you want to connect. Perfect. We'll put all that in the show notes, of course. So, um, all right, we like to finish off every, uh, every conversation with a bit of fun. It's our rapid fire Q&A five questions, um, whatever's on your heart or head or whatever. Um, <clears throat> are you ready? Yes. Okay. Number one, which emotion catches you off guard most often? Oh, I'd say fear. Um, because to me, fear is very tied to ego and I'm very surprised how often my ego is acting and responding versus doing something from my heart or soul. So I'm continue to be caught off guard and I'm like, oh, I'm acting from a place of fear. Like it just continues to sneak up on me. So <laughs> I would say, I would say fear. Damn evil. Great noticing, great awareness. Um, all right. So what do you do to regulate that emotion when you, when you have noticing it, when you are noticing it? Um, my very own purpose coach would be proud of me for this. Um, I would like to, is work that I've done recently. Um, when I am in a place where I know that I'm acting from fear, I know that that is typically connected to something that I've gone through and experienced when I was younger. 
and that piece just kind of broke off into the sphere and that's coming out now. So I take the time to pause and just hear its concerns. You know, so if it is like, okay, why am I feeling this way? What does that connect to? What do you think the worst thing is going to happen is what would you prefer I do different? Like I, I have my own like dialogue to try and hear it out so I can kind of hear its concerns say, okay, thank you. I will take that consideration. However, you know, here's where I am doing really great and excelling. So you don't need to worry about that. And you can sit back for a little while and I'm going to keep moving forward. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Um, all right, number three, your best friend's having a meltdown. What do you do? Oh, the therapist hat definitely comes back on um, carefully and cautiously. Um, if if my best friend is having a meltdown, what I'm I'm very passionate about letting people sit with their feelings because um, blocking things out it only makes it worse. So I often just try to help them let the feeling flow through because once we do, we realize that it's not so big and it doesn't have control over us. Um, and I always, I encourage people all the time to say like, how many days do you want to sit? Like, I want you to have a pity party for a bit. So let's say they've gone through a, a massive loss or something like, if you keep saying like, I need to be strong, I can't do this, like, stop that. You will do that later, but you need to sit here with us in your pity party. So give yourself a limit. How many days do you want to sit in this? Most likely, I don't know, I need at least three or four days. I'm like, okay, I don't want you at all to sit and think about, I need to be stronger, I should be doing this. I want you to sit there and wallow and cry and think about how bad this is and feel it all, let it all come in. And I promise you in a few days, you probably will be ready to let some of that go. Beautiful. For everyone listening, uh, my BFF and EQ expert has got a big smile all over her face. These are all the things that <laughs> she's an expert and knows how to help people with. Okay, number five. Sorry, missed one. Number four, what's next in your personal evolution? So personal, not professional. Mm. It can be the same thing. Yeah. Um, well, you know, kind of personally and professionally, I certainly hope to continue this movement about helping employers move from normalizing to humanizing mental health at work. So hopefully finding that, because um, as I said, normalizing, we're, we're just not making the progress we want. Um, personally, too, as I said, you know, I, I to be a good leader, and Teresa, you're probably here, you know, understanding this, it's really important that we do acknowledge those demons and things in our past. And I know that those can act as a barrier for me. And so to be a better leader, to be more authentic, to keep helping my clients, I have to know where these things are in my life and how they're affecting me. Um, so I do work with a purpose coach and then have like a, um, a, a women's circle too, right? In a safe place for me to bring out those vulnerabilities so I can figure out how to work with them and improve myself. Amazing. All right. So last but not least, what are you most grateful for or hopeful for uh, in this moment? Um, it's definitely going to be right now. It's my children because uh, I'm a, one of many moms in the pandemic who just had one hell of a year and a half and probably has a hell of a year and a half, <laughs> if not more. Um, so it going through this and, and being, it's been amazing for me in this role at Benefit Bump, um, being able to help other moms during the pandemic. This has just been an impossible year for us. Um, so having my kids, seeing them off to school, being grateful for their health right now, being grateful to help pioneer new solutions for other moms out there is something I'm extremely grateful for right now. Do the clap track. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. A perfect end to a perfect conversation. I think, you know, you've really um, broadened my perspective on this. I hope my listeners have uh, have learned something. I hope they uh, uh, take a, a, a better 
reframe or a better look at what this means and how they can kind of be more proactive about it, how they can be more aware of it and how they can help to um, reach out and, and connect it rather than looking at fixing or hiding or you know, removing. So um, thank you so much, Susie, for joining us. Um, it's been a real pleasure to uh, add you to our alumni. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, too. Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.